Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org slash WOA. The 2023 Missouri General Assembly session is about to reach its halfway point. And thus far, both chambers have been able to move significant legislation, including a bill aimed at curtailing some foreign companies from owning Missouri farmland. State Senator Rusty Black is playing a key role in that bill's trajectory, and the Chillicothe Republican joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about why that ban is needed and whether it can pass constitutional muster. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody equal. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. We gotta find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people. I don't wanna leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me from Jefferson City, she covers politics and the wacky Missouri legislature for St. Louis Public Radio. Sarah Kellogg. And joining us for the first time, he is the senator for the 12th district, which encompasses the great northwestern part of the state. Our guest today is Rusty Black. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you do before you decided to run for the legislature? And what prompted you to get involved in Missouri politics in the first place? Well, uh, my previous career, I was an agriculture education instructor, ag teacher, we uh, call it at home. And that includes the student organization FFA. So uh, if a lot of people do not understand agriculture education, there are Several people within our state understand FFA, and those are the kids with the blue jackets that at one time it was considered future farmers of America. Now the three letters, is, uh, it's about agriculture and developing the agriculture industry. So I spent 33 years doing that. Five of those were at a school, uh, we just talked about Maryville, Nottaway Holt. Nottaway County's where Maryville is at, Holt County's where Swan Lake uh, no, not Swan Lake. It's now called Lost Hills, a National Wildlife Refuge is at. So I taught there five years, and I left there and went to Chillicothe and completed 28 years of teaching there. And during my time in ag teaching, I really was interested in politics in high school. When I was a sophomore, I wrote on an index card, I want to be governor of the state of Missouri. And I started down a path interested in that. And just things happened while I was in college, et cetera, that made me decide I didn't want to be involved in politics and ended up being an ag teacher. Uh, but my entire time, my teaching career, 
I was very active in the legislative side of representing ag teachers, career tech ed teachers, as well as active in, in farm commodity organizations. So I continued to know what was going on in Jeff City and visit Jeff City and even Washington, D.C. So my interest in politics didn't start the year I retired from agriculture education. You first ran for the Missouri House in 2016. What prompted you to run for office? Oh, as I... As I said, Sarah, it was, uh, if you would ask me in 2000, what are you going to do when you retire? I was going to tell you run for state rep or state senator. Uh, and I was active within party politics, at, uh, you know, for sure the last 15 years, 10 years of my life quite a bit, or 10 years at that time, because my kids were getting out of school, et cetera, and that gave my wife and I more opportunity to participate in things. So, uh 2016, the, the person that I replaced was term limiting out. We were good friends. Uh, other people were considering running for that race, and I made sure that it was public knowledge that I was going to run in September of 2015 so that I could hit the ground running whenever I finally retired in June. And, you know, from July 1st to whatever day in August the primary was, there wasn't much time. So, uh, I, I did as many things as I could in that year to uh, try to let people know I had interest in that seat. So that's how that worked. And, you know, your trajectory, actually, Jason, do you want to ask this one as the redistricting guru? Yeah, I, I found it, your trajectory to the Senate really interesting because it wasn't known that Livingston County was going to be part of the 12th district until the appellate judges put it there. So if I'm not mistaken, you and Representative McGaw had actually like both filed for the House, even though I don't think you had any real desire to run against each other. Was it pretty nerve wracking waiting for those crazy judges to finally decide where your home <clears throat> county would be, be placed? Well, this may not sound right for a politician to say, Jason, but no, my nerves weren't racked. I mean, I... Things were going to happen. God was going to um, let things happen the way that they were going to happen. And I just had to float along with that until changes happen, until the maps come out. You know, there was a lot of discussion about uh, Livingston County and Caldwell County being placed back into northwest Missouri uh, at the beginning of the process of redistricting because where where we live at, Livingston County, Caldwell County, for sure. That is part of Northwest Missouri. And at the time, we were part of the 21st Senatorial District, which starts in Warrensburg. And there's not anything wrong with Johnson County and Warrensburg as a community, but that's certainly not where we trade, where our kids go to school at, uh, where we travel to. And the counties of Livingston and Caldwell County historically have been placed in the northern tier of Senate districts for years and years. So I always thought that opportunity was there, but I couldn't guarantee it. And I'm one of those people that can can make decisions and uh, turn around and go to sleep at night. And that was also that decision that whatever would happen would happen. And if I ended up having to run against Peggy or we had to run against each other, there'd probably be both of us sit down and decide what was going to happen. And more than likely, we both wouldn't have been on the ballot at the very end. Uh, but it did work out, and you are in the Senate. That and, is true. <laughs> and what has your impression been of the Senate so far? 
I I have really enjoyed it as uh, I listened to some of these podcasts this weekend, and as people discuss what's went on in the Senate the last couple years, and it's really been probably somewhat of a different Senate longer than two years. And some people that I'm friends with, uh, a senator named Sidney Johnson passed away just recently that represented the 34th district and was one of my constituents in this new 12th district. Uh, you know, term limits, the things that have went on has caused a continual change of the traditional bodies in the legislature because of that. And part of those changes, some of us probably like, you know, there may be things that people don't think somebody need to serve 20, 25 years, 30 years as a re representative senator, but some of that also causes more chaos when you don't have that kind of leadership. Uh, going back to my ag teaching days, those first two or three years you teach in a new place, it's uh, hopefully you're controlling the chaos. And then after you've been there a little longer, what may look like chaos on the outside is not chaos. It's something getting done. So I, I have been really happy with what's went on. There's, there's been days that... You know, we've had two or three filibusters, but in my mind, those things have happened for their purpose, not just because of personality conflict. It may have included that, but that wasn't the that wasn't the entire reason. It was with some form of legislative purpose rather than just uh, somewhat. I'm going to use the word hate. That's probably unfair, but sometimes just because personalities get so bad that uh, we decide to stop things. Uh, so uh, moving on to foreign ownership of farmland, that was something the House has talked about already. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you've been involved in legislation aimed at curtailing companies from certain uh, countries from owning Missouri farmland. Can you explain what your legislation would do? My legislation would return law back to 2013 when the legislature changed it, allowing foreign ownership to go from zero one percent so it would go back to zero and be the the exact same wording i'm going to say primarily the exact same wording uh at that point in time that allowed zero uh, foreign ownership of ag property ag land production land in our state and that is that is something that uh there's a lot of things during this conversation that uh People, even when people get upset with me one way or another on this discussion, I think that looking at the statutes and understanding what's real and what's Facebook real, it's important to understand what we're talking about in our state. Farmland is land that's used for production of ag commodities, and it's in statute, uh, the word alien. I've had people get upset because I've used that word alien, but it's part of the statute. It's, it's not what we fight about on TV and argue about on social media. There's a definition that determines resident alien in our statute. So we need to use those terms when we're trying to get the best possible product passed. And then, as you well know, uh, an important reason for me to be involved in it Smithfield Foods is located, the production facilities on the swine side, many of those are located in the Senatorial District. Uh, the other county associated with those is in Cindy O'Laughlin, Senate District 18, and that's a tremendous amount of jobs and economic development 
in our part of the state that would not be replaced if for some reason we got to the point where we thought we could force any kind of divestiture. So I, I thought it was important for me to be involved in the conversation, and the simplest thing would be just take it back to what it was, which would be zero, and we'd be done with this discussion. I'm sure there'd still be television ads about it in the future, but overall, you know, we would be back to zero. So we'll get to Smithfield in a second. We have a couple questions on that. I guess my question for you is, so you want to go back to zero. The bill that the House passed reduces it to 0.5%. What do you think about that change, or do you really <coughs> want to go back to what it was before? I, I'm I'm one of the people that uh, do not see a difference between 0.5 and going to zero, because what is the 0.5 there for? Some people say, well, it's to protect uh, multinational companies that are involved in agriculture, for them to be able to do production practices, to be able to do research and development. Well, for me, those companies, including companies, corporations, they're in my district, are already protected in statute to be able to do those items. If they're doing research and development, they certainly can do that today in our state and not be at fault at all within the statutes. So that's why 0.5%, let's just go back to zero and be done with this topic and move on. As to why this is a topic now, um, I know that uh, Senator Doug Beck uh, last week at the end, you know, he's been trying to do bills like this for years. Uh, have you filed legislation like this before? Or have you? Is this no. Issue? Okay. No, uh, I haven't. So he, you know, he... <laughs> Uh, I guess the question is, do you think this is getting a lot of attention lately because of the series of ads that then-Democratic candidate Trudy Bush-Valentine ran against Eric Schmidt on this issue? I I want to say, Sarah, if, if we wouldn't have had the last few things, a balloon going across the United States, okay, and other things going on with our relationship with China, and we could just go back and you asked me that question in August— or maybe at the general election, I would say, yeah, Sarah, I don't know whether I ought to say it, but 89% of this is based around politics mm -hmm. because people running campaigns used it both ways on any side. So that's what it was. But now I, I do think that maybe the reason why it's got foothold and there might be a better chance of getting something done is because of the continual things that we see by certain countries out there that we want to protect our interests. I really don't believe, I know Doug and I are, were friends, we discussed this when we were in the House. He sees it as a much major food security issue. I'm not saying that that's not. It certainly is something to be concerned about. But overall, like anything, if it's produced here, you know, our federal government can decide for national security reasons nothing's leaving, period. So if it ever got to that point, that'd be true. From the agriculture standpoint, I need people to understand this. There is one thing that is positive about trade with China, and that's agriculture. And if we we are the part of the United States of America, agriculture, that has a positive impact on trade with China, which means we send a lot more food and product there than any kind of agriculture product coming back. So they, they end up being an important consumer for agriculture products, not only in our state, but throughout our nation. 
if your bill passed, it would probably grandfather in a company like Smithfield so they wouldn't have to divest or sell their properties, but they wouldn't be able to expand beyond what they have now. Is that is that accurate, first of all? 100% accurate. Now, okay. now, the lawyers have told me that's what it's going to do. That's what I asked for it to do. So, Jason, I better say that. You know, we can always go to court and make something different, right? I saw in the House that the, the, the countries that are in the bill are, are countries like China and Russia and Iran. Is there any reason why it's just those countries and not like any foreign con- co- country from promoting Missouri farmland? The discussions I've been around that uh, those countries that you're talking about are cons- national security issues is what it is, more than food security issues. And that's why those bad actors, as we, as I continually hear, the people that we think are the greatest threat upon America, the state of Missouri, why they are labeled that way. And in most cases, if I remember, I believe the bill that come over uh, puts together a committee that can look at that list at any one given time and add people and take people off of that list as well. So that is the purpose of that. And the farmland portion of that is also adds the idea of food security and not wanting those countries or companies representing those countries to have any kind of a base to work out of to make things, I'm going to use the word hidden, or to be able to uh, put stuff out that uh, and hide it somewhere in our state to be able to work out of. We'll be right back after this quick break with Senator Rusty Black. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Senator Rusty Black. He is a Republican from Chillicothe, Missouri, home of sliced bread, and Jerry Litton, by the oh. way. Oh, Yes, I, you, you got a couple extra carrots there. Missouri in a podcast about Missouri politics and not mention Jerry Litton. It's like sacrilegious, basically. Well, there are, um, there's even people that I work with down here. Now I've, I've been part of the Republican party all my life. I was the oddball sitting at my kitchen table when I was growing up. Um, and many, many people, even people around Jeff city point to that, uh, tragedy as maybe being the beginning of the flip in our state from being a Democrat, a Democrat controlled state to a Republican controlled state, that that was a a major impact at at that time in political history. And for for listeners that don't know what uh, Senator Black is talking about, Jerry Litton was a congressman for the 6th Congressional District. He and his family died in a, a very tragic plane crash right as he won the U.S. Senate Democratic primary in 1976. Some say if he would have lived, he might have become president of the United States. I know that sounds hyper- hyperbole, but he was apparently that good. Well, um, even his chief of staff will not say that. You know, he was maybe interested in that, but there's a lot of things got to happen. But if I remember my history uh, correctly, isn't that when we when we have Senator Jack Danforth, if I remember yep. right? And there you are correct. There were people that uh, thought that maybe if Jerry would have lived, that that 
there could have been a different outcome at that uh, in that November. Well, going back to present day, there are a lot of other issues that are going to be top of mind when legislators return from spring break in, in mid-March. Um, you are a member of the Senate Appropriations Committee, so the budget process is probably going to accelerate pretty rapidly. What's kind of your general impressions of Governor Mike Parson's budget proposal, and what do you think are going to be the conflicts that people should expect when that process ramps up? Well, uh, overall, I think the governor has uh, a lot of ground force uh, support of proposals in the governor. As being a member of the budget committee on the House side, now appropriation side, you know, uh, normally each one of us have our own ideas that we think that uh, maybe money can be used better out here or there and, and still try to keep some in the bank for when times do get bad in our state. Hopefully not in the near future, but I'm sure we will have rough times. So I think overall support's good. Uh, of course, dealing with Missouri Department of uh, Transportation, there's a there's a lot of uh, strife there over over a lawsuit, and the legislature's ability to be able to uh, weigh in on questions on how to spend money. So I think that that will continue to go on. Anytime we talk about social services, that's going to be something. And it, it's trying to get. Sometimes people look at it as it's based out of the wrong thing. I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's based out of trying to spend state taxpayer money and try to help people as best we can. And what the discussion normally is, some of us believe that there's other ways to do it than what other people believe it ought to happen. So those debates happen around that. Uh, all the money being put out there to deal with child care is uh, it's an awful lot. Jason, and trying to absorb all that, especially if you're not somebody that's been in that space at all, it's hard to understand. Why are we doing tax credits for this? Why are we giving out subsidies? People are working, et cetera, Try, trying to muddle through that and end up with the best outcome is going to be important. And I, I feel like I'm lucky. I have a wife that's uh, associated with, uh, with that space after she retired from teaching, she ended up working with an after-school club is what a lot of people consider or understand that language. And knowing how those are used and the value of those for employees to keep kids, uh, some kind of supervision with kids that would seems like we need more today maybe than when I grew up, but it's important, the value that has for the business industry in our state of Missouri and families. You mentioned uh, transportation, arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest aspect of Governor Parsons' State of the State address was allocating close to $900 million to widen parts of I-70. As someone who represents a part of that state that does not include that highway, what do you think of this plan? Well, you know, Sarah, the knee-jerk reaction is I'd lot rather that money to be in northwest Missouri. We have uh, what we called lettered routes. I think uh, what other people call that nobody drives on them, so why do we fix them? Uh, roads, we would certainly be able to use that money and maybe get through all of it and not have all those roads fixed. So as we look at our state transportation system, though, I think I also should have the reality I-70 is important. I-70 is important to Maryville. I-70 is important to Joplin. I-70, you know, you can be a long ways away from there, and I-70 is an important uh 
road in our state moving agriculture products from one side to the other. So that being said, I understand there's going to have to be something done with I-70. And if we don't start on it, I think that's going to make it that much harder for the 12th Senatorial District to be able to receive support and love up on our roads. Now, I don't want to be forgotten during this process, but I also understand we have a fairly new prison in our in our city. And I remember to be able to do that, there were other facilities in the state, and it wasn't a prison, but another facility that had to be done first before that could even be a thought. So I look at I-70 that way, and maybe if they get it fixed, I'll start driving on it, because right now I stay the heck off of it. I do the St. Louis to, to I live oh. in Columbia, so I do that a lot. And I'm like, okay, another how many trucks can I count by on my way? Well, so. my, my wife today, she may be on it now. She's visiting her father in a hospital in Kansas City, and she's got to sleep in, uh, I think she's sleeping in St. Charles tonight in a hotel. So she's going to take one road, and I know her. She's not going to be happy about the drive. <laughs> Uh, you know, another bill, one bill that seems to be moving through the process would extend Medicaid coverage to postpartum mothers. The bill ended up making it out of Senate that had some changes to it from committee to the floor. You know, it left some Democrats pretty unhappy. Uh, do you foresee that bill changing in the House before it heads to Parsons' desk? Uh, I for sure understand there's going to be conversations about it because it doesn't, there's been, since I've been here, and you're probably one of the two of you for sure and look back and tell me that I'm wrong, but uh, there was a bill passed that went consent, got to the governor's desk about a week or two after spring break. And to think that's the only thing like that I've ever seen happen since I've been here. So I'm answering your question. There's going to be discussion. There's going to be debate. And more than likely, there's going to be change. Will that change? Hopefully that change, if it happens, is a change that happens with both sides coming together and come up with the best possible outcome. Yeah, I think, you know, talking to some House members, it seems like they want a little bit cleaner language because, you know, in particular in this Senate bill, it says that nobody who receives a service that is in violation of, of state law would be eligible for the Medicaid benefits. And, you know, Democrats believe that's a reference to abortion that could run into trouble with the Biden administration. You know, why include that provision if it could jeopardize the whole proposal? <coughs> well, I... Uh, you didn't need to reread it to me. I certainly have <laughs> oh, received yeah. enough. Oh, yeah, everyone read it. <laughs> I, I, and I've received plenty of correspondence about it before and after the amendment was placed on. Uh, yes, I understand people are concerned about it, but we do all kinds of things that has to go through CMS to happen. And as you said, CMS now is run by President Biden, uh, a Democrat, Will that cause it not to be allowed? You know, my hope would be no, because when we do stuff like this, whether it's this amendment or anything else, and then somebody at the next level level makes a decision not to do something, they think they're punishing Rusty Black. They're not. They're punishing a bunch of kids, babies, and mothers. Now, is that, is, is that the intent to punish them? Because they're the only ones going to live that outcome and receive that. So I guess that's, that's my response. I hope the people think the reason for this is to help babies and mothers live.
we need to do it. This part is not worth harming that group of people. So we're recording this on Monday, March 6th. There's some expectation that there's going to be legislation that's going to come up on the Senate floor involving barring transgender girls from playing girls sports. It may bar what's known as gender affirming care for minors. Um, what do you make of these proposals and why do you think that these issues have gotten so much attention and so much focus over the last couple of months? You see it's last couple months. I see it going on for, what, at least three to four years now and really exploded more during COVID time and the, and the time that the kids were out of school. And I, Jason, I think it's that simple. Parents, uh, citizens, I got grandparents getting a hold of me over these issues. And for some reason during that time when we were at home and quit – run into the park or whatever else we were doing, uh, people become so much more intense on what was going on with their children and grandchildren. And the slightest little thing that they saw that they disagreed with, sometimes they dug on deeper down a hole. I'm not always sure that they come up with factual information because I certainly uh, this weekend got criticized about stuff uh, from a from a friend because it said it on Facebook. Well, Facebook wasn't what they read wasn't 100% accurate, but there was no really arguing or backing out of that because they'd read it on Facebook and it's real. So it's a, I may be, you may think, well, he's trying to get around it, but no, I think that's what it is. I think the issues were before, but I think during that time, and then it is just compounded and kept in front of the people. My mother cares about this stuff now, and I'm going to tell you three years ago, Living where she lives at, she probably didn't even know there's a possibility of that going on. But but now she's concerned about it. So I think that's really what it is. And I do have people at home. It's, it's not me making it up. It's not people in the Republican Party, and it's not people in the Democrat Party. There's all kinds of people actively saying, you need to do something about it. And what we got to hope that we do at the end is when we do, if we do something about it, we do something that does the least amount of harm as possible, which means hopefully no. And no matter what that answer is, people can point, this is harm, that's harm, and that'll be debated forever. Uh, yeah, and I think that's been kind of the criticism among mainly Democrats that, especially with the transgender girls playing girls sports, there really aren't that many examples of that happening in Missouri. And it may be something that is being talked about nationally like maybe on fox news all the time but it isn't like something that is seen as a a problem in missouri when these bills first came up the missouri independent reported there were more bills filed um banning trans girls from participating in girls sports than there were trans girls wanting to play sports in missouri so i think that's what jason getting at like is this really kind of as big of a priority as it as it's been told is that am i is that right jason Yes, and yeah. I'm sorry my question was very was very inarticulate. Yeah. No, 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 yes. no, 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 well, if it affects one child, and this is either a, tran a transgender kid wanting to play or somebody that isn't transgender that feels like that there's undue competition or inability to compete, to them it's the most important issue if there's only one in our state. So we in the legislature have to try to come up with a decision 
whether that decision, whether nobody's, there's nobody going to be 100% agreement with this decision that tries to, and I, I when I use this, it, it seems like I'm just pulling it off of social media, protects women's sports. Uh, I, I have a young lady at home. I taught her mother, and she's a lady wrestler. Uh, and there's boys wrestling and there's ladies wrestling. And this young girl, she's sophomore in high school and doing very, very well. I, I think she ended up second in the state this year. But I do understand as somebody that had two sons involved in uh, wrestling, and one of them would be in her weight class, that it probably, uh, although this young girl has all kinds of technique and talent, it would not be easy for somebody to beat her. But the, it would, in my mind, be unfair if, if she has to wrestle against a male. There's going to be a lot of opposition in the Senate. And I think that this could be an issue where some Democratic senators will filibuster until there is some sort of agreement that they are they're not happy with, but they're willing to let it pass. Do you see like any specific point where that actually happens? Or is this just going to be such an intractable opposition that it either doesn't pass or you have to use a previous question in order to get something through? I, I believe on this individual issue that um, there probably will be a filibuster involved and there will probably be some agreement, some agreement that uh, all parties that are association, associated with the negotiating can live with and be passed. I, I do believe that will happen. I've not made it, of course, to the part of leadership where – I know what's going on at all, so it's all something, I guess. But at the same time, I see this as being the outcome. And I see that as a new senator showing up here. Isn't that the ultimate purpose of a filibuster, is to try to uh, make sure good legislation is passed and negotiation going, goes on with some pressure of time associated with that? Well, Senator, it was a pleasure talking with you today. And thank you so much for coming on the show. And we are looking forward to having you back. Just thank you guys very much for inviting me to be a part of it. I really was uh, shocked. I didn't honestly think that uh, probably people in your area worried too much about Northwest Missouri and what's there. Oh, you you were wrong. 100%. Like, <laughs> I, I've been to Northwest Missouri several times because my wife went to a library conference at Northwest Missouri State oh, University. Yes. And, and they have some of the best sports teams in the state, too. Well, and we had your predecessor on enough on the show, too. We oh, tried to dude. get a lot of the well, senators My on, predecessor yeah. was appropriations, too. <laughs> well, I'm not. There, there is well, a difference with that title. I'll talk to you in like four years, then you'll get a call. Okay. All right. <laughs> Politically speaking, it's a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri, St. Louis. You can find all of our political coverage at stlpr.org. Senator, is there any way for people to follow you on Facebook, Twitter, or any other place on the internet where you want to be found? Well, I am on Facebook, but I I do have a political side, Rusty Black for Missouri, and primarily on the other side, I'm Grandpa. Thank you very much for being on the show, and until next time, so long. Thank you.